And we start the show with breaking news. The Minnesota Vikings have signed Latavius Murray. Yes, Latavius Murray has been signed. The premier running back in the 2017 free agent class, Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray, who wheezed his way to a 4.0 yards per carry behind one of the league's best run-blocking offensive lines. That Latavius Murray goes to the Minnesota Vikings, who finished number 32 in the NFL in run-blocking efficiency on playerprofiler.com. There is nothing, not one thing, zero, not one trait that you can list, not one capability that Latavius Murray possesses that Jarek McKinnon does not. So I view the Latavius Murray signing by the Minnesota Vikings as a depth signing. They bolstered their depth chart by signing Latavius Murray. They did not sign Latavius Murray to be the primary ball carrier in Minnesota. That will continue to be Jarek McKinnon because Jarek McKinnon is better than Latavius Murray in every way. What do you think Jarek McKinnon's yards per carry would have been on Oakland last season? Oh, spoiler alert, higher than Latavius Murray's. Latavius Murray was not a top 10 back last year, despite an inordinate number of red zone touches. Latavius Murray could not crest 15 fantasy points, despite receiving 40 red zone carries. <laughs> Latavius Murray needs wide running lanes to succeed. He does not have great lateral quickness. He is not good at avoiding defenders that make their way into the backfield, but unfortunately, that happens a lot in Minnesota. So Latavius Murray is an awful fit on the Minnesota Vikings. He needs runway, and the one team that cannot give him the runway is the Vikings. So continue to fire up Jarek McKinnon in the later rounds of your drafts and continue to ignore Latavius Murray in all formats. Now, Eddie Lacy signed. Eddie Lacy signed with the Seattle Seahawks, $3 million guaranteed. That's it, $3 million. Former stud collegiate back, Eddie Lacy. Former second round pick, Eddie Lacy. Roll Tide, Eddie Lacy. Here's the problem with Eddie Lacy. For the last couple of years, he hasn't been good. He had one good season, 2014. He was active catching passes out of the backfield, successful in the red zone, efficient between the tackles. Eddie Lacy was good. Eddie Lacy was also in shape that season compared to what he is now. He weighs 265 pounds, and the goal is that between now and week one, Eddie Lacy can drop 20 pounds. Now, I'm not a strength and conditioning expert. I don't know how easy it is for Eddie Lacy to drop weight in the offseason. What I do know is that Pete Carroll expects Eddie Lacy to play in the 240s. That's what he expects. That's best case scenario. That's if their trainers are miracle workers. But here's the problem. Eddie Lacy is officially 231 pounds, according to the Packers' official website. And Eddie Lacy only ran a 4.62 coming out of Alabama. He was around 225, 230 when he ran a 2.62. Add at a minimum 20 pounds to that, probably closer to 30 pounds. What do you think his 40 time is going to be? We size adjust his 40 time, you calibrate it to his current weight. 
He probably runs a 4.75. This is not a player who can exploit the defense. Yeah, at least with Latavius Murray, if he had signed in Seattle. When a wide running lane presents itself, Latavius Murray can exploit it. He can get the most out of it using his 4-4 wheels. Eddie Lacy has 4-7-0 wheels at best, maybe 4-8. So when a wide running lane presents itself, Eddie Lacy is still going to be tackled by linebackers. He doesn't have the ability to make it to the second level. And that's when there's daylight. The problem is on the Seattle Seahawks, there's very rarely daylight. The two worst run-blocking offensive lines in the NFL, by far, Seattle Seahawks, Minnesota Vikings. There's a significant gap between those two teams and the number 30 team. Those are the worst teams. So who do you not want to be on those teams? You don't want to be the between-the-tackles grinders who are not particularly active in the passing game. You don't want to be a pounder for a team who can't run block. But that's where Eddie Lacy now finds himself. That's where Latavius Murray now finds himself. That's where Thomas Rawls was last year. And we saw how Thomas Rawls performed in that environment. Awful. Negative 16.2 production premium. That was number 66 in the NFL. 3.2 yards per carry. So when we look at our situation agnostic efficiency, when we look at just general per carry efficiency, Thomas Rawls was getting you the bare minimum and the offensive line was partly to blame. But also Thomas Rawls' juke rate, 19.7 evaded tackles per touch, number 50 in the NFL. So he wasn't making anyone miss. At least Eddie Lacy makes defenders miss. Eddie Lacy led the league in juke rate last season. Small sample size. He was not going to lead the league in juke rate if he received 200 carries, but with 70 carries, he led the league in juke rate, technically. Not enough carries to qualify for the metric, but still led the league in juke rate nonetheless. But his production premium, negative 26.1, because with 11 red zone carries, he scored zero touchdowns. So not efficient in the fantasy point scoring area of the field. And when we expand the sample size and look back at 2015, Eddie Lacy, 28.5 juke rate is good, but not great. Number 31 in the league. That's who Eddie Lacy is. Eddie Lacy is a replacement level between the tackles grinder at this point in his career if he can get down to 245. If he stays at 260, he'll be cut. That's why they laced Eddie Lacy's contract with incentives. $3 million guaranteed, another $2.55 million in incentives, but I'm not sure Eddie Lacy will ever reach those incentives. I think there's a good chance he's not on the roster by week one. I'm not comparing Eddie Lacy and Trent Richardson just because they went to Alabama, but this looks a lot like the Trent Richardson situation where you had one productive fantasy season and then the player could not meet the strength and conditioning requirements of the NFL, then bounced around the league and was quickly flushed out of the league. Once teams brought them in for tryouts and found, oh wow, this guy is a parade float. It's not going to work. But fortunately, we have Mike Clay defending Eddie Lacy. There's always Mike Clay ready to remind us that Eddie Lacy is second in the league since 2013 in yards after contact. There's always a pro football focus person ready with the yards after contact stats to rationalize away the inherent weakness of the NFL grinder. Oh, he's a between the tackles pounder. Those are the most replaceable assets in the NFL, and they score less fantasy points than the guys catching passes. We shouldn't be spending much time analyzing these between the tackles grinders. 
especially those running behind bad offensive lines. But no, 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 no. We need to talk about Eddie Lacy. We need to talk about Eddie Lacy's yards after contact because he will be contacted a lot in the backfield. And that one yard after contact that he's going to grind out after getting hit in the backfield, that's going to help you win your fantasy matchup, right? (laughs) No, but I have a solution. You don't need to worry about being right with a Thomas Rawls or Eddie Lacy projection. You don't need to pick a winner. Thomas Rawls, Eddie Lacy, who's going to be the early down pounder in Seattle? Just don't worry about it. I'm advocating for neither player. I am touting CJ Proceis. That's where our energy should be focused, touting CJ Proceis, because CJ Proceis has the size to run between the tackles. He's 220 pounds. He has the speed to get around the edge. He's nifty in the passing game and is electric in space. He has all those qualities that we want in a true bell cow back. CJ Proceis is fast Arian Foster. That's what he is. So focus our attention on the running back who actually has the all-terrain skill set that we covet. That's not replaceable. Let's focus our energy on that player and that player alone. CJ Proceis should be the focal point of the Seattle Seahawks run game. Not Eddie Lacy and not Thomas Rawls. Regardless of whether Thomas Rawls and Eddie Lacy have compiled more yards after contact. Mike Clay has his pet stats and he is out there waving the flag even for players that run a 4-8-40 at this point in their careers. Mike Clay is going down with that ship. It's not really a ship. It's more like a barge. Mike Clay is on the bridge of that barge just waving the yards after contact flag as the ship sinks into the ocean. Eventually, all we see is a fully submerged barge and just Mike Clay's hand still waving a flag just over the surface of the ocean. And he's just gripping the staff of that flag and his fist just sinks into the ocean. It's weird the fascination that some analysts have for certain players and stats. The beauty of confirmation bias, you could always find a stat that supports your position, that supports your preconceived notion that Eddie Lacy is good at football. Eddie Lacy's not good at football. The negative production premiums year over year tell you that. Hell, the inability to score fantasy points tells you that. It's not hard to figure out what's wrong with Eddie Lacy. Understanding Eddie Lacy doesn't require deep analysis. But what about Adam Thielen? Ah, Adam Thielen, that's an interesting situation. That situation commands more sophisticated, more thoughtful analysis. So I'm interested to hear what Mike Clay has to say about the wide receiver core in Minnesota. Does he like Adam Thielen? Does he like Stephon Diggs? And if he likes Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, does he also like Laquan Treadwell? And if he likes all three, what does that mean for their target shares? Mike Clay, talk to me about their target shares. I need to know. I don't know Mike Clay's position on the Minnesota wide receiver core. Let's let's take a look. Let's go to his timeline here. Oh, good news for McKinnon. Looks like Mike Clay knows that Latavius Murray is not a workhorse back. It's good. Oh, Eddie Lacy tweet. Another Eddie Lacy tweet. More Eddie Lacy rationalizations. Eddie Lacy yards after contact. More Eddie Lacy yards after contact. Eddie Lacy's great. Eddie Lacy's underrated. Don't sleep on Eddie Lacy. Eddie Lacy. Eddie Lacy and false narratives. Oh, boy. 
false narratives like yards after contact matter when you're not fast and you're running behind one of the league's worst offensive lines. That false narrative. Oh, here we go. The Adam Thielen breakout reminds me of Rashard Matthews in 2015. Both are good players. Diggs, Thielen, Rudolph is acceptable. Now will Laquan Treadwell step up? Okay, what else do we have? It keeps scrolling. There must be some real analysis here somewhere because that was just a bunch of nothing. Adam Thielen's good. Will Laquan Treadwell step up? Well, we all know Adam Thielen's good. He just signed a three-year contract. I don't think anyone believes Adam Thielen's bad at football at this point. Adam Thielen was the number one wide receiver in fantasy for week 16 with 12 catches for 202 yards and two touchdowns. I think we all know now that Adam Thielen can play football. So basically what Mike Clay is saying is Adam Thielen can play football and I wonder what's going to happen with Laquan Treadwell. Will Laquan Treadwell step up? Well, I don't know, Mike. I'm looking to you for answers. How often do I visit another analyst's timeline for answers? Very rarely. Pretty confident in my own opinions, but in this one case, I'm looking to you. Tell me what to think, Mike. What are you giving me? You're giving me a rhetorical question? Will Laquan Treadwell step up? I don't know, Willie. I'm asking you. You're the expert. You're the go-to analyst for ESPN. Why are you asking rhetorical questions? As analysts, our job is to give definitive positions on players, not to simply shrug our shoulders and ask the audience what they think. I don't know. Laquan Treadwell, it's a tricky one. What do you all think? Well, maybe it's not rhetorical. Maybe there's a particular member of his audience he's asking, right? Maybe there's someone out there that he believes has the answer to solve the great Laquan Treadwell conundrum. There is no conundrum with Laquan Treadwell. Stop talking about Laquan Treadwell. The Vikings have a nice receiving core in Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, and Kyle Rudolph. It's not merely acceptable. It's good. Just say it. If Adam Thielen's good, and we all know Stephon Diggs is good by now, and Kyle Rudolph led the NFL in targets among tight ends last season. We know he's good. So we've got good player, good player, and good player. It's a good receiving core. It's not just fine. It's not just acceptable. It's acceptable. What receiving cores aren't acceptable to Mike Clay? Which rosters does Mike Clay review and look at the receiving core and go, Oh, this is just not acceptable. I do not accept this. Mike Clay from ESPN does not accept this receiving core. No, not acceptable. Oh, the Vikings, they're acceptable, officially, now. I've thought about it, and it's acceptable. But I do wonder about this Laquan Treadwell. Members of the audience, let me know. What should I think about Laquan Treadwell? The Mike Clay 1000 is short-circuiting. How could Laquan Treadwell be a bust? He was a first-round pick. How is this possible? He had great pro football-focused grades coming out of Old Miss. Yeah, oh, yeah. Graded out really well. This is a strange one. It's a strange case. I know the problem. I know what's short-circuiting the wires of the Mike Clay 1000. It's overvaluing draft capital. Mike Clay was chasing draft capital for two years with Nelson Aguilar. Mike Clay was the guy projecting Nelson Aguilar to step up. Nelson Aguilar had an impressive snap share his rookie year. Just a matter of time. Still waiting, Mike. Still waiting. Checking my watch. No Laquan Treadwell breakout. No Nelson Aguilar breakout. Okay. I'll keep checking. Keep checking back. Hey, they were first round picks. 
So they, they must be good. When are they going to step up? When? When? First round picks don't bust. It's just a matter of time. No, a lot of them bust. And your job is to find out which ones were likely to bust. That's what we do. Been talking about Laquan Treadwell as one of the great bust candidates at wide receiver for over a year now. So take a stand on Laquan Treadwell. Is he good or is he bad? It's time to choose. You can't call a friend. You can't ask the audience about Laquan Treadwell. The fact that NFL teams like players like Laquan Treadwell enough to draft them in the first round doesn't mean nearly as much as most people believe. Mike Clay is not the only one chasing draft capital. Most fantasy analysts overvalue draft capital. You see this happen a lot where even an analyst that has reservations about a player will have those reservations wiped away if that player gets drafted in the first round. We saw that with Will Fuller last year. A lot of analysts, not sure about Will Fuller, gets drafted in the first round. Oh, breakout player. Because so many fantasy analysts don't trust their own process enough. They believe the scouts know what they're doing. They believe the scouts know more than they do, but they don't. That's the great flaw in the reasoning or the false narrative, as Mike Clay puts it. The false narrative that the NFL's scouting industrial complex more often gets it right than gets it wrong. No. And blindly chasing draft capital is the number one reason why fantasy analysts are often so wrong about young players. You cannot let the opinions of scouts override your own personal player valuation programming. Just look at what we've seen recently at the wide receiver position. Kevin White, Laquan Treadwell, Will Fuller, Nelson Aguilar, Philip Dorsett. Dark days for the draft capital chasers. Gee, maybe scouts don't know what they're doing and we should think for ourselves. Maybe. <laughs> Imagine that. And that's one of the reasons why I love Reality Sports Online, because Reality Sports Online mimics the experience of being an NFL general manager. It gives you an opportunity to prove that you are as smart or smarter than an NFL GM. The site is super configurable to set up a league with roster parameters and rules to meet the needs of even the most quirky commissioners. I'm a quirky commissioner. And we're setting up a listener league on Reality Sports Online. If you are in the patron program, that's important. You have to go to patreon.com and search for Podfather and support the show. If you're doing that, then you can join our Reality Sports Online Listener League. The great thing about the Reality Sports Online Listener League is, as a partner, Reality Sports Online is allowing free entry into the league. They are providing all the prizes with no buy-in, and their platform supports... Deep rosters. I like deep rosters. Quirky playoff formats. I love quirky playoff formats. And the settings are easier to navigate than my fantasy league, which is a mind-melting labyrinth of settings. And if you'd like to join this Reality Sports Online Listener League, email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com, explaining why you are better equipped to build a championship NFL team than the average NFL general manager. Just send in a paragraph, we'll read them, and we'll pick the best ones on air. The winners from last week are as follows. Othman Chebley, Frank Schoenberg, a guy named Patrick, and Matthew Fricker. There's at least four spots remaining, and we will read the league entry winners on the show throughout the month of March. 
And if you're not able to participate in the Roto Underworld Listener League, that's okay. Just go to Reality Sports Online and set up a league and invite your friends to play Dynasty League football. Dynasty League football is becoming more and more popular. And you should try the Reality Sports Online platform. And when you're drafting, stay away from those young rookie wide receivers. Because a lot of these young wide receivers will never fire. Yes, even the ones drafted in the first round. Talked about on the last show, the wide receivers that you should be acquiring in Dynasty. Rashard Matthews, Tajay Sharp, Adam Thielen, Eric Decker, Jordan Matthews, Willie Sneed, Deshaun Jackson, Kenny Britt, Jeremy Macklin. What do these players have in common? Most of them were not drafted in the first round. And if they're young, they've suffered through some challenging seasons early in their career. Or they're older and they're viewed as well past their prime. They're not young anymore. And in Dynasty, if you're not young anymore, you're no longer valuable. You're no good to me anymore. If you're older, if you're 30 years old, I disagree. And I'm going to talk to Jacob Rickroad today from Rotoviz. Jacob has written a number of super insightful pieces on Rotoviz about Dynasty in particular. He did some great work in particular on the probability of first, second, third, and fourth round rookie picks hitting in Dynasty. I referenced his work in my book, The Dynasty Dominator. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash guides or on Amazon, search Dynasty Dominator. It is the most comprehensive Dynasty League strategy guide in existence. Get it now. We are in peak Dynasty season at this moment. So what better time of year than to bring on Jacob Rickroad from Rotoviz and talk Dynasty and specifically Dynasty wide receivers. Go follow Jacob on Twitter at Clutch Fantasy. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program, Jacob Rickroad. Jacob Rickroad is the host of the Rotoviz podcast, and he is the dynasty guru at rotoviz.com. Jake Rickroad, talk to me. What's happening, Matt? Really happy to be talking to you again. Yeah, man. I'm happy to have you on. As the resident dynasty guru at rotoviz.com, I gave you that title. That's not something you told me. I gave you that title. I think you've earned that title. Talk to me a little bit about your process. How do you build a dynasty league roster that is built to last and built to win? So I, I've been playing since 98. And uh, after getting my ass kicks kicked the first couple of years, I decided that I had to get deeper into it. And so what I started to do is um, I recorded finishes every year, PPR finishes, and I started to plot them out and see if I could find patterns. And what I found is it's the same players generally getting back in the top 24 wide receiver, top 12 quarterback, top 12 or top 24 running back. And so I made these cool little grids. And uh, every year I update it. And if you go back to 2000, so I got 17 years now of data to draw from, there's been 26 wide receivers that have three or more top 12 seasons. And this is crazy. That's not many. Because there's probably, any given year, there's at least 200 wide receivers on an NFL roster. So we're talking over a couple thousand players, potentially. And these 26 guys have eaten up uh, almost eight out of the, the 12 top spots going back to 2000. And so the key is, is, is finding those guys, hitting them in the off year, or, or of course, drafting them and having them on your dynasty for a long time. And you, you can also connect quarterbacks to these players. A lot of the same quarterbacks are supporting these wide receivers. Right. Um, I, I broke it down every year. It's, so it's about 120 is the magic number of targets you need to consistently break into the, the top 24. Now, you can have 100 
and get in off of touchdowns. Tyreek Hill just did it. He was right at the end. But those are fluky, you know, for the most part. And, you know, you can have a bad season like uh, Allen Robinson where he had 150-some targets and it didn't break the top 24. So that happens too. But for the most part, 120 is that magic number. And the other thing I found, like clockwork, is there's four wide receiver twos in the top 24 every year. So that means that four teams have two wide receivers in the top 24, leaving 16 teams in the top 24 at 12 NFL teams will not have a top 24 wide receiver. So drafting a wide receiver two on one of those teams is completely useless because it's not going to help you at all. So if I'm targeting a wide receiver, a team wide receiver two, you better be on a team that can support both or with a quarterback that can support two top 24 receivers like Aaron Rodgers, who in six out of nine years has had two top 24 wide receivers. A couple times he's had two in the top 12. He just did that last year. So those are, those are the situations when I'm, I'm in a draft, I'm targeting those teams, those quarterbacks, those play callers. I found some correlation with play callers, too. You wouldn't believe Kyle Shanahan is behind uh, some crazy high-scoring seasons uh, across multiple positions. And I know you're not a big play call guy, but I think there is some correlation there that we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. But the, the wide receiver thing is just one of those things. You know, I was on Mike Wallace last year because you look at his resume, the guy has done it so many times, and what happens? He, he snuck in the, the end of the top 24. He did. So given the right situation, Pierre Garcon did it too. It's a guy with, uh, you know, two top 24 seasons previous, you know, and been kind of overlooked, and, and he snuck back in there. What's the running theme with these wide receivers that are sneaking in, these great value plays that you're grabbing in the end of drafts? Certainly the end of a startup is where you would have found Mike Wallace and Pierre Garcon. These are players that are well past the age apex, but not yet in the early 30s. These players are 29, 30, 31 years old. They have a couple years left, and they have those fantasy viable seasons on their resume, but their brands have been diminished for one reason or another. So finding those wide receivers with the diminished brands that are still of age and have the resume, have a history of production. You might have to go back two or three years. With Mike Wallace, you had to go back four years. But those seasons were there in Pittsburgh. So you go back far enough, you can find some of those seasons, and that's how you can mine these great value-wide receivers at the end of a dynasty startup in particular. Now, when you're looking at who is going to put together that third top 24 season at the wide receiver position, I think one great candidate is Brandon Cooks. Now, do you think Brandon Cooks, that this is his third season in the top 24 in 2017? So Cooks is a tough one, and, and the tough part is is he's averaged 80 receptions over 1,100 yards and 8-9 touchdowns with Drew Brees, and he's done it on, on a pretty low amount of target. He had 117 last year. So to match that is going to be tough, and when I look at New England, the one consistent spot outside of Gronkowski is, is the slot receiver. And if you, you go back a decade and the slot receiver in New England literally hasn't missed the top 24 except for one year, and that was 2015, when Edelman averaged 19 points per game in nine games. So the, the slot receiver in New England is money in the bank, going all the way back to 2007 with, with uh, Wes Walker. So when I look at Cooks, the one way that he can continue his pace or the numbers that he put up in, in New Orleans is he needs to take over that slot role. He's not Randy Moss. People think that he's Randy Moss. He's just, he's not that kind of receiver. He's 5'10". He's crazy fast, but I just don't see him as being dominating like Randy, Randy Moss. Cooks 
has has done really well indoors, not so much outdoors, which is going to be interesting seeing him in New England. I do like Brandon Cooks. I think he's super talented, and they traded the boatload to get him. But I think the key to him having improved numbers will be if he moves into the slot. And there's already bumblings that he might. Um, Edelman's 31. He will be a free agent next year. Wes Welker left uh, the Patriots at age 32, so they let him walk right after that. So I think there's a very good chance that Edelman plays one more season, and then they let him go, and then maybe Cooks expands in 2018. I'm not overpaying for him uh, this year in a redraft because I, I just don't know how much better he can get than the numbers he had in uh, uh, New Orleans. And Gronk is still going to be the top option. Well, here's how the numbers can be better for Brandon Cooks. You said it, the targets. Exactly. 117 targets last season competing with Michael Thomas and competing with Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed and Michael Thomas as a group are better than Julian Edelman, Malcolm Mitchell, Chris Hogan as a group. If Brandon Cooks can take over Julian Edelman's role, Julian Edelman's role, which netted him 160 targets in 2016 that's how brandon cooks can have a career year in new england julian edelman was not efficient last year so you could absolutely see the new england patriots seeing how inefficient julian edelman was 6.9 yards per target number 72 in the nfl his negative 19.5 production premium was outside the top 90 his negative 31.7 percent target premium was outside the top 100 the sneakiest inefficient season by a wide receiver last year was Julian Edelman. And he's 31 years old, and they still need someone to return punts and kicks. I think that they've found their new queen chess piece on the offense, where they're going to move them all around, including plenty of plays out of the slot. And I think Brandon Cooks will usurp Julian Edelman as the target leader on the team. And I see no reason why he won't at least match his fantasy output from last season, they traded for him for a reason, just like you said. And the reason is volume targets out of that slot role. That's what Brandon Cooks is great at. Targets close to the line of scrimmage. He's incredibly strong at the catch point. He secures the ball and pivots upfield as well as anyone. That's why you saw a bunch of those big plays were after the catch where he pivoted upfield and he was just gone. When you hit Brandon Cooks on a shorter intermediate route, he can do more with it than almost any other wide receiver in the NFL. That's why they got him, because he's the ideal fit. There's almost no wide receiver that's a better fit for that quick passing game that the New England Patriots love to run, those rub routes close to the line of scrimmage. That's exactly what Brandon Cooks excels at the most, that short area quickness and then securing the pass and pivoting upfield. That's why they targeted him. They know the offense they want to run. They know the types of routes where they want to install him. And I think it's the perfect fit. There may be someone who's willing to trade him based on the uncertainty moving from a dome to New England, maybe thinking that because of the presence of Gronkowski and the the ascendance of Malcolm Mitchell that we all believe is going to happen eventually, that will throttle Brandon Cook's targets. But when you look at the targets from last year, they weren't even high. Brandon Cook's 117 targets was number 23 in the NFL. So it's not like he was getting a lot of targets anyway. So at least I think you have to value him the same as you did before. But there is a case for Brandon Cook's exceeding his projected production on the New Orleans Saints now that he's moved to the New England Patriots. 
I totally agree. You know, Wes Welker had five seasons in the top 12 and two of them were in the top five. So when you're catching 100 plus receptions the way that Edelman has, it's it's all right there. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. Maybe, maybe Edelman secures 160 targets again. That's not going to happen. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Edelman's not going to come anywhere near that because of the presence of Brandon Cooks and the presence of Malcolm Mitchell and Chris Hogan and Rob Gronkowski. Julian Edelman is going to experience a massive target squeeze next year, and he's aging, and he's experienced declining efficiency. These are all bad signals. It's like if you looked up in the sky, and there were lights in the sky, and they were just red lights flashing in the sky. That's what you see with Julian Edelman's dynasty stock. Brandon Cooks is the opposite. What can go wrong with Brandon Cooks? Nothing. Nothing can go wrong. Nothing. You could say, oh, randomness. Oh, no, because the targets are close to the line of scrimmage. So he's going to get volume targets in an efficient, up-tempo offense that are also easy to secure. So the catch rate's going to be high. The targets are going to be high. You know he's one of the best after-the-catch players. Oh, suddenly you start to think it's spinning. Okay, wow. He could be the number one wide receiver in fantasy next year. It's possible if they install him in that 2007 Wes Welker role. That's the case for Brandon Cooks. Now, is it time to buy low on Malcolm Mitchell or Chris Hogan, or are we over those players? Is there not enough targets to go around for Mitchell and Hogan? We love Rob Gronkowski on this show. I, I know there's so much uncertainty with his health and everything, but the dude averaged 21 yards per catch last season. Do you know how insane that is for a tight end to average 21 yards per catch? He's unbelievable. He's averaged over 17 PPR points per game in his career, and in a, in a tight end premium, he's over 20 points per game. He gives you a significant advantage any given week by having him in your roster. So I'm still picking up Gronk. I, I think he's going to be back, and as long as he's playing, he's going to just destroy so you're a Gronk fanatic. I'm a Gronk fanatic. Now, I wasn't drafting Rob Gronkowski when he was going in the first round of redraft leagues, but if he's going to go in the third round, I'm all over it. I never take tight ends early, but when you talk about Rob Gronkowski's touchdown equity, I think he has something like 69 touchdowns. It's around 69 for his career. So touchdowns per game. Rob Gronkowski is in a completely different stratosphere than any other NFL player in the history of the league. You want to pay for touchdowns when you get the opportunity. That's the best thing to pay for. That's what's worth the most in fantasy. So don't overthink it. Pay for the touchdowns. Go get Rob Gronkowski. Even in Dynasty, people are gronked out. Adam Leviton was on the show last week, and he said people are gronked out. They're not going to draft him in the first and second round anymore. They're going to let him slide a couple rounds in Dynasty. And now that is when we strike! Absolutely. You know, Travis Kelsey was the number one tight end last year, and he averaged 13.8 points per game and was the number one tight end, where Gronk averages over 17 for his career. I mean, that's a huge advantage you have over your opponent every week. Now, in Dynasty, when we look at lifetime value, you can make a case that Travis Kelsey will be in the league longer than Rob Gronkowski because of... All the injuries Rob Gronkowski has sustained. Rob Gronkowski is an off-the-field partier. So for those reasons, you can say, well, Rob Gronkowski may not be the dynasty asset that Travis Kelsey is. Maybe, maybe not. I think it's close, but not in redraft. In redraft, you want all the Gronk. Give me all the Gronk. 
Now, looking at Washington, we're talking about free agents and trades, Brandon Cooks to New England. Yeah, woo, maybe, yes, I think so. Remember, when I asked Jacob about Malcolm Mitchell specifically, Jacob Rickroad's not a Malcolm Mitchell guy because that doesn't fit the profile of a player that Jacob Rickroad is targeting. Jacob Rickroad's much more likely to target someone later in a startup that looks a lot like Malcolm Mitchell, only he's a proven performer. We've never seen Malcolm Mitchell post a top 24 fantasy season because Malcolm Mitchell has never posted a top 24 fantasy season. But Jeremy Macklin's posted multiple top 24 fantasy seasons. So Jacob Rickroad is going to draft the 28-year-old Jeremy Macklin multiple rounds after someone else has thrown a dart at Malcolm Mitchell. Is that fair? Absolutely. I, I want to stack as many top 24 receivers on my team as I can. I'm not as concerned about age because I'm looking at it like a two, three-year window. And every year, these guys like Jeremy Macklin will go you know, overlooked and fall in these drafts. I, I can't help but do a startup every year because I see the ADPs and I'm like, this shouldn't be happening. And I, I jump in these drafts and, you know, some people don't think you can year or win year one and two, but you really can because the dynasty community is just too age obsessed. Right, they are. And the, the Macklin's the perfect example. I, I feel like when I was trying to think the player that most aligns with your sensibilities and is the best value right now in startups, the guy I came up with, the guy the computer program picked was Jeremy Macklin for you. Yeah, I'll give you a couple more. Eric Decker is another guy coming off a bad season. That's just cheating right there with Eric Decker. <sighs> There's a ton. You know, Alshon Jeffrey's a guy that I was picking up in, in, in Dynasty a few weeks ago. Um, not thrilled about the landing spot, but he's on a one-year deal. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey has two top 10 seasons. So by my process, he's very likely to do it again at some point. And Jordan Matthews has at least one top 24 season on his resume, his sophomore season, the number 23 ranked wide receiver in fantasy football in terms of points per game, Jordan Matthews. So he's also a potential target because those many have soured on Jordan Matthews. Oh, that one bad season. Oh, I'm, I'm done with him. He was dropping passes last year, playing on a bad knee. I'm done with him. He's out of my life. Get out of here, Jordan Matthews. And then we're just sort of sweeping up the pieces, sweeping up the bad seasons that Jeremy Macklin had playing on an injured groin. Jordan Matthews had playing on an injured knee. No problem. We'll just sweep those players up. Don't mind us, everybody. Let me give you another uh, stat that I found in my research. So rookie quarterbacks suck with top 24 wide receivers. In fact, there's only a handful of wide receivers that have finished in the top 24 with a rookie quarterback. One of them was Steve Smith, who was elite prior. He did it with Cam Newton. Reggie Wayne did it at age 34 with Andrew Luck. So we're talking about two of the best quarterbacks in the league doing it. Um, Joe Flacco did it with Derek Mason. Derek Mason was a perennial stud. Most people don't know know who he is, but he had, he had six or seven wide receiver two seasons in his career. Those are the guys that did it. And Mike Evans did it with Jameis Winston. But for the most part, rookie quarterbacks don't do it. So here's Jordan Matthews. He was top 25 both years because he was tw wide receiver 25 as a rookie, which is rare company. He, he gets matched up with Wentz. He, he actually did really well when you compare him to his counterparts. Aguilar and DGB combined oh. for 757 yards on 143 targets. Oh. 
Matthews had 37 less targets and basically had the same numbers. Matthews is the the perfect trade candidate because while we like Jeremy Macklin, we like Eric Decker, they are well past the age apex. The beauty of Jordan Matthews is you get a high-quality receiver who's not yet reached the age apex. I mean, that's where this becomes cold fusion for Dynasty League football. Trading for someone is such an immaculate value, unspeakably good value with Jordan Matthews. I, I want to talk about Decker for a moment. The reason why Decker is such an incredible trade target at this very moment because he's a cut candidate that no one's talking about and the reason he could be a cut candidate is if the Jets do not get Cutler and they decide as an organization that they're going to be Cleveland East and they're just going to blow it up if they're going to blow it up they're not going to keep Eric Decker knowing that they could save over five million dollars against the cap this season yes $3 million of dead money, but another $5 million of cap savings if they were to cut Eric Decker before June 1st. It makes all the sense in the world. If they do sign Jay Cutler, that means they're going to make a run at making the playoffs and fail, and Eric Decker will be back. But if they do not sign either Jay Cutler or find a way to acquire Tony Romo, Eric Decker could be on the market. And then Eric Decker can find his way to any team. Eric Decker can find his way to Dallas. Eric Decker could find his way to New Orleans, to Green Bay, to Seattle. We don't know where Eric Decker may end up. And you want to buy uncertainty surrounding good players in Dynasty. It's one of the great tricks. You want to buy the uncertainty knowing that a player is in the worst possible situation already, and that's where his price point is based on. And if there can be a stimulus that improves his situation that most do not perceive, that is a hidden value that you have to go out and acquire. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, Decker has three seasons in the top 13. So by my numbers, he's one of those rare guys. He has two top nine seasons. That is so rare. And the, the likelihood or the propensity of those players to do it again, even in their early 30s, we've just seen it so many times, you know, I mean, and just because he's 30 years old doesn't mean that he won't do it again. I mean, look at what, look what Larry Fitzgerald is doing. Look at look what Steve Smith is doing, Anquan Bolden, all these elite guys that fit the profile of Eric Decker are continuing to get it done in their early 30s. And he doesn't have to go to Green Bay even. Eric Decker could simply land in Buffalo and be the 1B to Sammy Watkins 1A, tethered to an underrated quarterback like Tyrod Taylor. He could achieve WR1 status in that situation. He doesn't have to go to a best-case scenario offense. Now, for Terrell Pryor, I felt like Washington really is best-case scenario for him because their offense is heavily skewed to the pass. And Kirk Cousins loves to throw the ball deep. And Terrell Pryor, what does he have? 99th percentile height-adjusted speed score. So he's one of the fastest big receivers in the history of the NFL. Loves to get downfield. He's a faster, more explosive playmaker than Josh Doxson. And he plays a different role than Jamison Crowder. Jamison Crowder is that volume slot flanker, much closer to Julian Edelman, where Terrell Pryor becomes that X receiver that is going to be heavily used on intermediate routes around the goal line. They're going to feed Terrell Pryor on a high-volume offense that was sneaky efficient last season. It's hard to imagine Terrell Pryor landing in a better situation. Totally agree. And, 
you know, being the biggest guy on the field, basically, he's he's going to be the red zone target there. But I, I do love Crowder, too. Yes. He's got 67 receptions on 99 targets, so he's really high catch rate. He's crazy efficient. Both years, he's been in the league. They love him, everything you hear about him. This guy has Jar- Jarvis Landry written all over him, where if he gets 130, 140-plus tar- targets, he's going to be a 90-catch guy. He's a guy, another guy that I've been picking up on a lot of dynasty teams because I think people are overlooking him, especially with all the uncertainty what's going on with Cousins there. But sounds like Cousins is going to stick around this year. This is another great opportunity. You buy these Washington players because Washington is a dumpster fire. Washington doesn't know what they're doing. Washington's full of incompetent drunks. Oh, look at Washington. They are a laughing stock. Well, okay, they're going to field a team next year. Their quarterback was a top 10 fantasy quarterback last season. They threw the ball. And the year before. Two straight seasons. They threw the ball 40 times per game. There's no problem with Washington if you're buying assets in the passing game. Jamison Crowder's 99 targets with number 42 in the NFL competing for looks with Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon. Well, both of those guys are gone. And I question whether or not Jordan Reed is going to play. We just saw Jordan Cameron retire. And why did Jordan Cameron retire? Multiple head injuries finally called it quits. Said, you know what? Football's not fun anymore. It's impacting my health and my future. But this is where Jordan Reed is at. Jordan Reed sustained more concussions than Jordan Cameron. And I question whether or not Jordan Reed will take a hit in preseason, training camp, at any point and never take another snap in the NFL again. What happens then? Who's going to catch all those underneath routes? It's not going to all be funneled to Niles Paul or Vernon Davis. They're not going to replicate Jordan Reed's target share. And based on the conservation of targets, the law of the conservation of targets that we love to talk about, those targets have to go somewhere and they will go to Jamison Crowder more than anyone else. Jamison Crowder is going to vacuum up the underneath targets in Washington And like Jordan Matthews and another player, Willie Sneed, these are these inexpensive young players that are underappreciated because they're not great athletes. They don't fit that X receiver profile. Okay, he's not a prototypical X receiver. Okay, but he gets a shitload of targets. And based on volume, he's probably going to be fantasy viable this year. He's going to be a top 25 guy. He's going to fit the profile of a Jacob Rickroad wide receiver target in Dynasty, and he's not old. These are the perfect teams. I have Dynasty teams that feature Jamison Crowder, Jordan Matthews, Willie Sneed, and Eric Decker, and I couldn't be happier. I, I'm in total agreement here. Um, I, I think the Cousins is kind of underrated, too, as a, as a long-term asset. I mean, he's already proven to me two top 10 seasons you know, the, the one thing about the quarterback position is it's dominated by the same guys for a long time. I mean, Breeze, Rodgers, Brady, Peyton, they have literally owned the top six spots. And, and here comes Cousins, who's thrown for 5,000 yards. Um, I, I really like the guy as a, a dynasty asset. And so I, I'll definitely pick up those pieces around him. By the uncertainty around Kirk Cousins' future, you can get him many rounds later in a dynasty startup just because nobody knows where he's going to be. Oh, no. Oh, no. Wherever he goes, he's going to have receivers catching the ball. So you can just go ahead and draft it because he's going to be a starting quarterback in the league. He's better than half the quarterbacks in the league, at least. Even if you are tepid 
with your Kirk Cousins projections, he's still in the top half of the league. And if you're a top half of the league quarterback, you're going to have a job always and forever. Now, I think the wide receiver that won free agency was Deshaun Jackson. I think Deshaun Jackson going to Tampa Bay, I mean, this is a peanut butter and jelly situation. I mean, Deshaun Jackson, Jameis Winston, I mean, you got peanut butter, and you got jelly, and you put the bread, and it's just delicious. Uh, Do you feel this way? I do, and I think it's good for the whole offense. I think it makes Mike Evans better. Um, You know, DJX is a guy, he's got four top 24 seasons in his career. He's He's a boomer bust kind of guy, and you know he's probably better in a best ball league. But if you could put this guy at the end of your your wide receiver roster and then plug him in on bye weeks or as your your flex, second flex, I, I think this offense playing under Cutter is it's going to be much better than it was. You know, Jameis Jameson has gets better, and Evans numbers have to get more efficient too. Um, I think his targets could come down a bit, and if his catch rate goes up, you know, he's been in the 55 range. You know, he needs to be up in that 60 range, and he's still going to be an uber top five guy going forward. And I, and I think DJX will only help that because he's going to take the top off of these um, offenses. You know, next-gen stats that uh, NFL does, uh, you can see Matt Harmon tweeting about the next-gen stats. DJX is still one of the fastest reported times last year and and the dude's 30 years old so he's still getting it done he's still got that speed still one of the fastest wide receivers in the league and over a three-year stretch looking at all our efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com Deshaun Jackson was the most efficient wide receiver from 2014 to 2016 you take that three-year sample no one was more efficient no wide receiver was giving you more value on a per target basis than Deshaun Jackson Now you put him in Tampa Bay with an ascending quarterback. Jameis Winston's only going to get better. And this is a cold fusion team. We talked about discovering cold fusion for a dynasty team. Well, this is the cold fusion in real life where we normally say, well, the addition of one wide receiver necessarily hurts the other wide receivers due to the law of the conservation of targets, which I mentioned earlier. Matt, don't forget about your own law. You can't forget about your own law. You just talked about the law of the conservation of targets. You can't forget about You just said that law. Now you're saying something else. Well, yeah, Deshaun Jackson going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers violates all the laws of science because Mike Evans is going to get better targets. I guarantee this. I mean, anyone that wants to make this bet with me that Mike Evans sets a career high for catch rate this year. Anyone want to take that bet? I'll take that bet. Mike Evans is going to crush his career high. I just broke a pen. Mike Evans is going to crush his career high for catch rate because the targets he will receive will be a lower degree of difficulty because of the presence of Deshaun Jackson stretching the field and occupying opposing safeties. Deshaun Jackson is... This is this is literal. I mean, this is not a figurative statement. He's literally infinitely better than Adam Humphreys. So this is what we're going to see. We're going to see a boon for Jameis Winston, a boon for Mike Evans, a boon for Deshaun Jackson. I mean, the only player on the entire offense that you could argue will be impacted negatively is Cameron Bright. And Cameron Bright wasn't good anyway. No one cares about Cameron Bright anyway. But all the players we care about are going to exceed expectations this year. I am delighted by this Deshaun Jackson sign. I mean, this was ideal. This was when we talked to Jason Fitzgerald from over the cap. When we had, when we were spinning our wheels on the Sonic Truth podcast, which players fit best in which systems. We talked about Deshaun Jackson going to Tampa Bay like it was a pipe dream, but it actually happened. Alshon Jeffrey going to Philadelphia was not a pipe dream. 
but you're still buying him because it's a one-year deal and he's Alshon Jeffrey, right? Right, and he's in the prime of his career. I mean, this is age 28 to 29, 30. This is when wide receivers put up monster years. And and this guy has two top 10 seasons. And from my research, for him to not continue to at least perform at wide receiver two level, it just he'd be an outlier because I couldn't find that. There's a, there's a few examples. Hakeem Nix did it, but he got hurt. And Alshon's healthy. When he played in the game, you look at his game logs last year, he was as good as he's always been. So, I, yeah, I, I like Alshon Jeffrey, which is why I was buying him a few weeks ago. I'm not, I'm not thrilled about him playing with Wentz, but you know, Wentz has no more excuses with that lineup. With Jordan Matthews underneath and Ertz playing out there, and then you got Torrey Smith taking the top off again. Torrey Smith, a guy who gets PIs more than he gets anything because they, they can't stop him. He, there's another boomer bust guy that you want to pick up for your best ball league. It's Torrey Smith. He's had several top 30 seasons, only one in the top 24, but definitely a guy that, that's going to explode for big games here and there, and a guy that can really help an offense the same way the DJX is going to help Tampa. Yeah, I love sliding those Torrey Smith and Deshaun Jackson archetype players in my flex spots because I just like getting the upside. I like the idea of my flex guy can help me win a matchup. I don't like to put the low ceiling player, the guy I just think is going to gobble up targets and give me a nice floor. That's what my WR1 and WR2 slots are for. I want my flex spot to give me upside. That's just my own sensibility. I mean, I'm not saying you have to do it this way. I'm not saying there's any science behind that whatsoever. There's no data behind that. That's just my own sensibility. That's just how I like to run my fantasy league. I like to be scrolling down and be, oh, surprise. Oh, look at that. Five catches, 150 yards, and a touchdown from Deshaun Jackson. Oh, look at that pleasant surprise. I won my matchup because of my flex position. Thank you. I think another guy that can do that for us this year is someone who completely exceeded expectations with a rookie quarterback. You talked about Jordan Matthews predictably struggling with a rookie, Carson Wentz. Well, Kenny Britt was tethered to Jared Goff for half the season, and he didn't even struggle. He actually had a good season. He played well, was incredibly efficient with a rookie quarterback, and he fits the mold of the wide receiver that you and I like, that 28-year-old who's changing situations, who has some productive seasons in his past, and when you zoom out and you look at the profile, he looks like a quality receiver, and things could break right for him in Cleveland, and it's a player you want to buy the turbulence, you want to buy the change, you want to buy the lack of brand equity and take a shot on a guy like Kenny Britt. Am I wrong? I'm I'm with you. Again, we just saw what uh, Terrell Pryor did in Cleveland with those quarterbacks, and Britt fits the profile exactly. Uh, He's been unlucky his whole career. I mean, he's never had the right offense to play in. And, um, you know, finally, maybe he landed in a spot where he's going to get the targets and, and produce. So could Cody Kessler be fantasy viable? Could he support both Coleman and Britt? I'll take the, the under on that. Um, he had six touchdowns last year. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Um, I, I know you like Corey Coleman, but it just doesn't happen. The, the, the problem is, is there's too many other good quarterbacks out there that are putting up bigger numbers. And if you had to pick one between Kenny Britt and Corey Coleman, you're going to take the experienced player, the guy that has established top 20 years on his resume every single time yes when you're in a league and you're playing for money you're gonna take the player that has the resume 
Yes, and I only play in leagues that, that have money. By the way, I, I play in a lot of high stakes leagues. My I have a five hundred dollar dynasty team. So if, if I'm play, paying for production, it's going to be the guy with the experience. Pay for production. So Ricardo Lewis, Rashad Higgins, even on your radar, even as a, a taxi squad stash. Nope. That was perfect. That was perfect. Let's stick with wide receivers. Wide receivers are the key to winning fantasy leagues. I think that's almost a, a universal truth now. And Jacob Rickroad has a particular set of skills. One of them is winning dynasty leagues, but in particular, getting the wide receiver position right. So another interesting free agent signing, Robert Woods to Los Angeles. Will Robert Woods be the target leader, or is he redundant with Pharaoh Cooper? And if he's redundant with Pharaoh Cooper, who's better? It's Woods. You know, Woods has the profile of that that uh, possession guy. I think he could lead the team in, in receptions. Right. So if he leads the team in receptions, then he's going to be a great value. He's going rounds after Pharaoh Cooper. Again, this is a player that's not old. I like to add the players in Dynasty that are not old. The free agents that go to other teams earlier in their career than normal. Look at Rashard Matthews. It's rare that a player who just signed a big contract has a career year. We would all agree with that. That's a thing. The destination contract in football is a thing. So it was even more impressive what Rashard Matthews was able to do to have a career year after signing a big contract. What's one of the reasons? Because he never really broke out with Miami, and he ended up becoming a free agent at a relatively early age. Well, that's Robert Woods. He became a free agent at a relatively early age, and in college, he was incredibly productive at an early age. His sophomore season at USC, well over 100 receptions and 15 touchdowns. Not well over 15 touchdowns. He had 15 touchdowns, double-digit touchdowns at USC as a sophomore for Robert Woods. Now he returns home. This is an interesting story. I do like Robert Woods and Pharaoh Cooper, and that's okay. You can have two small receivers dominate the targets. I think that's what happens. I think Tavon Austin's the one that's marginalized, not Pharaoh Cooper. And I think Robert Woods and Pharaoh Cooper can both be sneaky guys that you can just put on your taxi squad. You're not going to start them in week one. But if Jared Goff makes a mini leap and their run game is still a disaster, then the Rams are going to have to throw a lot, and that means lots of targets for Woods and Cooper. There was a signing recently that I thought was interesting that no one else thinks is interesting because I have a little bit of truther left in me for Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson signs with the Carolina Panthers. Is this at all interesting to you? No. I've I've never been a Charles Johnson guy, and I don't know if... Cam can support more than Olsen and Kelvin Benjamin. And Devin Funches. Devin Funches is more efficient than Benjamin. So it's hard to imagine, Charles. Yeah. I mean, Dave Gettleman is going to Gettleman. I mean, that's what he does. Dave Gettleman likes to Gettleman. If you're going to sign the worst possible player that's available in free agency, you're going to be Dave Gettleman. I mean, now he's signing Russell Shepard. He's signing Charles Johnson. What are you doing, Dave Gettleman? Because what do the Panthers need? They needed a great slot flanker, one of these volume slot guys like Robert Woods. That's who Carolina should have been targeting. Why Carolina doesn't know what they need is perplexing to me. I mean, Dave Gettleman is the most overrated GM in the NFL. Is anyone worse than Dave Gettleman right now? No. Now, looking at all the free agent wide receiver signings, was there any that surprised you? Said, Whoa, that was, I didn't see that coming at all. I definitely didn't see Brock 
getting traded for a draft pick. I thought that was sweet. I, I kind of like Cleveland. I mean, they're they're stacking up draft picks. They got this money ball thing going. I, I really like Hugh Jackson a lot. You know, they got two great running backs there. You know, Duke Johnson and Corell both performed last year. I was going to say, like, if there's somebody in Cleveland I'm targeting, it's those running backs. The line got upgraded. That, that, that was an interesting situation. Can you remember a time a, a, a salary got offloaded like that for a pick? There's been an unspoken code among NFL player personnel that you don't tank, that we're not the NBA, that we don't need to implement a lottery system. But I believe that a lottery is coming to the NFL because you can't put this toothpaste back in the tube. Once one team decides to do it, once you have a Cleveland Browns say, we're incentivized to lose, guys. Enough with your code of ethics. Tampa Bay already tanked by benching all their starters in the second half of Week 17, heading into the 2015 draft to draft Jameis Winston. So tanking has already started in the NFL, and we're just going to take it to the next level. We're going to take it to the next logical place which is recognizing that we don't have the quarterback to win a Super Bowl. We don't have the defense to win a Super Bowl. So we're not going to try to win. And we're going to get to the salary floor by accumulating bad contracts and valuable draft picks. The second round picks are arguably the most valuable picks out there because they're talented players at value. So now that the Cleveland Browns are overtly tanking, not like Tampa Bay tanking just the second half of the final game of the season, but starting the season in tank mode, this is going to change the entire approach of the bottom feeder NFL teams. They're going to start to mimic what the Cleveland Browns are doing, and it is going to put Roger Goodell in a situation where he has to stop the tanking. They're going to have to start to implement new rules for allocating draft picks. Eventually, they're going to have to go to a lottery system. Yeah, and speaking of tanking, um, I kind of like Garcon with the 49ers. The 49ers are an interesting offense right now. They are the sneaky, interesting offense. Is that even a thing, a sneaky, interesting offense? If a th- sneaky, interesting offense is a thing, I think it's San Francisco. Yeah, I, mean, we, I mentioned Kyle Shanahan earlier and what he's done with wide receivers over the years and running backs, and now he gets Garcon back. You know, the best year Garcon ever had was with Kyle Shanahan, and he actually put up a top-12 season with him when he got the targets. So he's kind of a sneaky guy that could he could be a hundred catch guy. We've seen him do it before. His his game works for that at, at this stage of his career. He, he runs good routes and he can catch. So you know, and they're probably going to be chasing a lot. That's that's interesting, you know. And and their quarterback, who knows who that's going to be? But the guy that they got back there did pretty good things for DeAndre Hopkins and Josh Gordon before that. Thank you, Brian Hoyer is the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. I don't think it's close. And the next most underrated quarterback might be Matt Barkley. I love the talent configuration of the wide receivers in that offense. I love the idea of Aldrick Robinson stretching the field. Now, he's not Deshaun Jackson. He's not an elite field stretcher, but he's a very good field stretcher. He has ball skills, and he has incredible speed. Then you have Pierre Garçon in that volume flanker role at the Z position. And then you have Bruce Ellington in the slot. So that three wide receiver set is very interesting to me because Bruce Ellington has that upper 90th percentile agility score and he's converted basketball player. So he's an athlete with great agility. Those make for great slot guys like Julian Edelman, former quarterback 
incredible agility, converts to slot. It takes a few years. Took Julian Edelman four years to develop. But eventually, over time, you take those athletes with great agility, put them in the slot, they can eventually start to perform. I think this is the year for Bruce Ellington. I think we have one more year where we can squeeze a a top 24 season out of Pierre Garçon. And I think that Aldrick Robinson can play at a Kenny Stills level if given the opportunity. Yeah, and you want another sleeper, deep sleeper uh, for the end of your roster is Kyle Juszczyk. You know, dude can catch. They bring him in. He's... Would you be surprised if he started turning into a Danny Woodhead type? I think he's closer to a Jack Doyle. They both play H-back, so they play that wing position where he's not really a fullback. He's a fullback in name only, just like Jack Doyle's a tight end in name only. It would be nice if, like with Ty Montgomery, they could convert Juszczyk on the Dynasty platforms to tight end. If they convert Juszczyk to tight end, then he becomes interesting. We'll see how they use him. He has that H-back skill set that is actually closer to the tight end position in today's NFL than the fullback position. He's not a fullback. People calling him a fullback is crazy. That role is essentially non-existent in the NFL. That role's the dodo bird. Now you have the H-back who plays the wing position, who does a lot of pass catching in those very short routes, flaring out out of the backfield, being that hot read on zone blitzes. There's a lot to like with this San Francisco offense. I think Eric Rodgers could step up and be their go-to X receiver. That could happen. Who knows? He has the profile on playerprofiler.com. He has the size adjusted athleticism. He had great production both at a small school in the U.S. and then in Canada. And then you look at the tight end position. Vance McDonald fits the profile of one of these later breakout big athletic specimens that finally puts it together at age 27. I've really talked myself into this offense. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think the Niners are going to fly under the radar and under – under Shanahan, he's he's shown what he can do. Every every stop he's made, he's produced top guys. Whether it's Alfred Morris or um, Devonte Freeman exploding in Atlanta, so I'm definitely going to be targeting some of those uh, those skill players. And and Pierre Garcon's a guy. If I get his like wide receiver four or five, I think that's going to be gold. Yeah, Pierre Garcon is the perfect guy. I love that we've just basically honed in on the swath of players between age 28. And age 31, they're past the age apex, and their brands have been diminished for one reason or another. Their situations are in flux, and they personify value creation in Dynasty. They personify the undervalued player in a Dynasty startup. So I'll get you out of here on one more question. Who do you qualify for truth or status on? What's that one older player? Hasn't broken out yet. I know you're a... You're a fantasy point snob, Jacob. He must have been good in the past for me to like him. But give me the one guy who has never been good, and you're like, I still think he could be good. Never broken out. Um, can I say Jeff Janis, or is the show just going to take a whole nother direction? No, please say Jeff Janis. I I feel that way about Jeff Janis, but most people don't. If you do, I'd love to hear your take on Jeff Janis. We, the Roto Underworld audience wants more Janis. Go ahead. Randall Cobb's a guy that I'm on an island with. Like No one thinks he's worth shit anymore. And to me, he fits a profile. He's got two top 24 seasons. So that that's a guy. I'm also a John Brown truther. He's kind of older. He's going to be 27 this year. John Brown or Jerron Brown? Because I'm a Jerron Brown truther. I love Jerron Brown. 
I want some of that Carson Palmer receiver. I mean, that's that's why I can't get off of John Brown. Yeah, John Brown is interesting. We talk about how Aldrick Robinson's nothing close to Deshaun Jackson. Well, John Brown is. John Brown's closely comparable to T.Y. Hilton and Deshaun Jackson in a way that players like Aldrick Robinson are not. John Brown has the speed and the ball skills to absolutely be one of the league's elite field stretchers. Agreed. I, I've, I've been on. I was on him last year, and he had some health issues, but I'm still buying him because I think he can do it. When you go to check your box score, and you're a John Brown owner, there's nothing more frustrating than seeing a catch or seeing a touchdown, and you're celebrating because it was Jay Brown. And then you go to the game log, and you realize, oh my God, it was actually Jerron Brown. Still waiting for that Nelson Aguilar breakout, Mike. Let me know.